0: Good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Ah, Peyton, hello. Hello, hello. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Kyle, last name Blazer. I'm the youth pastor here. Typically, I get to do announcements once in a while, and then afterwards they're like, man, we really need to get some order and structure for announcements because that guy goes crazy. So this is, the, this is what happens when uh, I do announcements, but I'm pretty excited because I get to continue in Matthew today with us in the book of Matthew chapter 15. Um, typically, I speak to junior hires and high schoolers. Sometimes the high schoolers are more mature, sometimes the middle schoolers are more mature. But typically I have to rein them in and say, no, there's, wait for a snack, don't open the chips, oh my goodness, stop squeezing that bottle. Uh, and it's pretty fun. So I'll try not to call anybody out specifically, except for you, Peyton. I'll call you out. Um, One thing I think uh, it is important as we study God's word is to bring back into context as we're reading through, because we've been going through Matthew for a while now, and I think oftentimes it's easy to go in one ear and out the other, and so typically what I will do is ask a couple of questions, which undoubtedly I will get the same responses back most weeks uh, from the youth, which are, I don't know, Jesus, the Bible, you said something important, and then, or they'll get the book right. Um, But I wanted to pose a question to you. Do any of you remember what we talked about and what Chris preached on last week? Yes, what, what, did, what was it? Roger? Bible, Bible. see? There it is. <laughs> Anyone else? Anyone else? Remember what we talked through and preached through last week? Jesus, Jesus we're there. Hypocrites. Hypocrites, we talked a little bit about that. Anything else? Going once, going twice? Uh, we talked through traditions. Uh, there was this conversation that the Pharisees had with Jesus in regards to the washing of hands, and Chris laid out this uh, kind of challenge in approaching conversations in humility Being willing to be wrong, not for the sake of proving your point, but listening and hearing somebody out, and being willing to come to Jesus knowing that you could be wrong, and being willing to learn something from him. And so the next question I usually ask is Did any of you have an opportunity to practice that this week? Perfect. This is what happens in youth as well. I did. Um, Actually, it was on Sunday of last week, right after Chris preached it twice. Uh, I went home and put both feet into my mouth when speaking to my in-laws. I was trying to do something that I thought was right that I still think was partially right, but I went about it all in the wrong way, confusing everything that I should have said and having respect and honor and love for my in-laws. I pretty much at some point said, you guys are still here, right? I know, a hushed tone comes over the crowd. I then proceeded for a few days to apologize deeply and regrettably, and I've learned a lesson. Number one, if we're going to preach out of this, we've got to be willing to look at our own selves and our own lives and in our own ways. Give God an opportunity to have work in our life. So if you didn't screw up, I screwed up for you. It was great. We'll look to this next week. Um, the next thing I wanted to do really fast, too, is just read out of Hebrews chapter 4, The purpose of why we teach out of this book, I think, sometimes can get lost in translation from time to time, so I thought I'd just read a section of scripture that tells you the purpose of this book. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 12, it says, For the word of God is a living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. I want to encourage us as we open the Word of God today to look at it reverently, allow God to speak through its truth. I will try really hard to get out the way and just allow God's Word to speak to us. Sound good? Um, We'll be in Matthew chapter 15. I'm going to pray for us and then we will read it. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for your Word. Thank you for everyone who's here. God, I pray you would um, open our hearts, our minds uh, to the teaching of your Word. Allow your Holy Spirit to have his way. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we will be in Matthew 15. We're starting in verse 21. It says, Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from the vicinity came to him, crying out, much like that baby, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word, so his disciple came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. A woman came and knelt down before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs and fall on their master's table. Then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Verse 29, Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee and then he went up from the mountain and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame and the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they praised the God of Israel. Very, very good of Chris to give me Jesus Calling a Woman a Dog section to preach on. Sometimes it's a challenge to read God's word. Um, Often I tell the youth this off like pretty much every week not to feel bad if they have to read it over and over and ask for understanding because sometimes they're not only challenging concepts but just reading it can sometimes be a challenge to stay within context, to not get ahead of ourselves or behind ourselves and just allow God's word to speak for itself. So often I'll read it about four or five times before I come to a point of understanding to which I start to ask questions why how come where is this important and a number of other things because i have a lot of questions often um, first off jesus left the promised land and travels to this region called tyron sidon why would he go there how far away is it is it important is it just another town sounds really cool maybe they have a good beach i don't know um so i start to dig into that and look and what's interesting first off is it's a long ways away it's 50 miles away For most of us, that would take a couple of days to get there if we're walking in a big group, talking, having conversation, bird watching, and the like. It would take us a little longer than if we were just running, Um, but it's quite a distance to travel. And it's completely outside of the promised land, Israel, where Jesus is from, the disciples are from, the language is known, the culture is known, and their God is served. And so that's kind of the first question, why would he go there? It's interesting because in the gospel text, like this is one of the only instances where Jesus heals somebody or has a presence outside of israel like it's one of those places where he went so he must have gone for a reason but he didn't give a sermon he didn't give something huge or massive he didn't see large crowds of people he actually went away to get away from people there's a lot of speculation as to why could have been that he was really tired of arguing with the pharisees could have been that he was exhausted and needed a little bit of a break or it could have been that he had a very specific reason and purpose to go there or all three Um, but that's, when I start to look at this instance, because the whole story is kind of confusing at times, and you kind of have to ask your question, man, what in the world is Jesus doing there, and why did he do and say what he did? Um, So it's a ways away. They don't know Jewish customs or law, and historically, if you look at the books of Joshua and Judges, um, when the promised land was open and the Israelites came into it, after 40 years of being in the desert, they were given up sections of land, Uh, by the leaders of Joshua, and they were given each tribe sections of land to occupy. And their first job and responsibility was to get everyone that lived there out. They weren't to leave anyone. They weren't to mix. They weren't to allow people to stay. They weren't to sell, trade, marry, any of it. They were supposed to remove the inhabitants and dwell in the land that God promised for them. The tribe of Asher had this particular spot of Tyre and Sidon, and they did just the opposite of what they were told, they didn't kick them out. They traded with them. They married with them. And so, the people that live there right now, live there at this point in time, have been there since the Jews came into the Promised Land. So that's why it references the lady as a Canaanite. It's talking to her history and her heritage. She's not just a Gentile or somebody who's moved to the area. She is from a specific culture and place that has been there the entire time God's people have come into the Promised Land. Again, it's just kind of an interesting concept to think that what would have happened if they kicked them all out. You know, what would have happened? You know, there's always what ifs. Um, looking kind of beyond that too, language would have been different, religion would have been different, and they would not have been accepted. So to go there is just this big question mark, and it leaves you kind of asking, why, did he go there just for this, or is there a bigger purpose? I think next you kind of shift, and you look at the woman, because she's a focal point of the whole passage, and it's kind of, it's kind of like, wh- where did she come from? What's her story? And it's really interesting. So, Again, she would have been called a Canaanite, which would have been a diss. It would have not been a nice thing to call somebody. It would have been like calling them a jerk, a turd, lowlife. If they died tomorrow, we wouldn't have cared. That's that's kind of the perspective of of who this was. And so this woman, Jesus goes 50 miles and is trying to get away from He's not telling anybody that he's there. And this woman hears that the healer, this guy who's been doing crazy stuff is there, and she immediately comes. And why does she come? She comes in asking one thing and she says two very interesting things she asks for mercy she comes crying out to the lord for mercy and she knows who jesus is or at least she's heard who jesus is or she's believing in who jesus is and she calls him by his messianic name the son of david she's not talking about jesus from nazareth she says son of david have mercy on me again it's one of those parts where it's like how did she know who jesus was How did she know who the son of David was? And again, why was Jesus there for this one woman? she had come and it was really her only time to see Jesus would have been this one time he's there. It's not like she can leave and go into another country and go 50 miles. And she asked for mercy because her daughter is possessed with the demon. Demon possession is not something we should be scared of as Christians, especially when we're reading the Bible. We need to approach it from a perspective of looking at the Bible uh, written for us for a purpose and a reason, not something to just gloss over and be like, oh yeah, Jesus healed a the demon, pew, pew. Uh, there, there, was was this, this was prevalent, it happened. They were surrounded by, and are still surrounded by nations that serve other gods. Um, there, and there was this indwelling of an evil spirit in a child. Again, really crazy because if you look across cultures and you look across religions, nobody really looks to have their children possessed by demons or possessed by an evil spirit. Even in other cultures and other religions where they do worship other gods and other spirits and other things, they like protect their children. It's not something that is common in any respect. And so there's this obvious need that the woman has. Her daughter is possessed with a demon. The language around this is specifically kind of towards this perspective of um, not like she had a bad attitude or she didn't pick up a room, but something like she was cutting herself, she'd be wailing, she'd be hurting others, hurting herself, really, really awful. I cannot imagine having my child go through something like that. I have a toddler, and it is tough enough. (laughs) I cannot imagine an evil spirit where there's no understanding, no comprehension to what's coming out of a child. It would drive you to a point of needing help and help drastically. Angela, um, one of our pastors here, uh, talked in our sermon team, we were talking through this, and she said, it's not really uncommon for a mother to go out of her way for her kids. As a dude, not being a mother, it was an interesting perspective to hear her take on how far a mom will go for her kids, how willing she is and how desperate she can be for the salvation and the health and protection of her children. And so that's the perspective this woman is coming from. She's let everything go, her culture, where she comes from, and she's going into the presence of a Jew, who they're not pals, a man, which is kind of uncommon, and a rabbi known less. It's very, very uncommon. And she doesn't wait or ask permission. She comes right up to him and says, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. One more thing with uh, just a quick side note or a story on demon possession. Um, It's one of those things that as Christians, we need to look at and realize that it still happens. There are are things that we can't comprehend and understand. I was in, I've, I've interacted with situations not exactly like this, but similar enough That bring me to a point of having reverence and understanding for when I read this text. I was in India and I was working for an organization that was helping street children get off the streets. Really terrible situations and we're getting them into homes, education, and trying to help provide them a place and a safe way to make a life for them and their families. And uh, after having been there for a while and not getting to hear English a whole ton, you got really good at following along with whatever we were doing and somebody would somehow give me a hand signal as to what was next and... I understood that we were going to we pray, and we were going to get ready to go into a specific part of town. We were going to try and rescue two girls from a very specific place, and uh, all the leaders that I was with basically let me know, we were going to pray. And I'm used to, as an American, we pray for a half hour. Wow. Prayer without ceasing. A whole half hour, you know? I mean, we're busy. We're doing things, and we don't typically think, oh, I need to pray before I go down to... You know this place or i need to go down to boise i need to pray before i go there because i've worried about what's going to be there and what they let me know is we need to pray and we need to cover ourselves with um the blood of jesus christ and so we did for a couple hours and then as we went into this specific place i'm not kidding you we turned a corner and we're going into an alley and we're heading to the end of the alley and there was an old woman who was walking and she's bent over and had a cane and she's walking real and i mean when I say old, I'm not trying to be rude. I'm not talking about a 50- or 60-year-old where you're like, oh, you're old, but you're not really, you're midlife. This is a woman who's like 80 or 90. I mean, she looks very old, crippled. I can't believe she's crossing the street. And when we came around the corner, it was the strangest thing I've ever seen. She stood straight up and looked straight, straight at us and basically just said, who are you and why are you here? In a man's voice. It was terrifying. And I quickly hid behind everyone that was there after peeing my pants just a little bit and quickly realized the need for prayer but I don't say that to scare you or anything because by the power of Jesus, we prayed the whole way through, pled the blood of the lamb, spoke the name of Jesus. We went all the way through, not hurt. We're able to get the gals, got them out and they're doing quite well now. Uh, but that instance of coming face to face with an evil I can't comprehend or understand is it's kind of a radical changing moment. So when you read stories like this, it's not like a woman's coming saying, my daughter is really sick, please help her. This is a woman coming and saying, this is an evil and an understanding I cannot fathom. I need help she would have been an outcast at this point doesn't speak of any husband doesn't speak of any other family just a woman and her daughter who are going through something really really terrible and they come to Jesus so that's kind of the perspective of the woman coming and i love what she says i think this is one of the things we can start to take from and learn from she says kind of three different things first she comes we already covered it son of david she understands who jesus is she calls him by his correct name sees that there is a power beyond her understanding that could help her number 2 after Jesus doesn't respond, and we'll get to Jesus' response here in a second, but what she says and what she does, she comes right to his, his feet, bows down, and worships him and says, Lord, help me. And then thirdly, again, after this strange response from Jesus, she doesn't fight her position, demand a certain thing, say that she has earned or has the right to anything. She sees herself correctly where Jesus has put her and, and then pleads still, even still, Lord. Lord. By the overflow of your mercy, heal my child. Kind of just thought-provoking. Well, let's look at what Jesus said, because that's the part where you're like, Jesus, what? You've been so nice up to now and healed everyone. Why would you just like, not respond? So that's what happens. This woman comes, says name correctly, reaches out, says, help me, help me, and he doesn't even respond. Nothing. Doesn't say, no thanks, nothing. Just doesn't even acknowledge her existence. The disciples see it, and obviously, like, she keeps crying out, and they say, Lord, you've done this before, just like, pew, pew, shoot her with some healing and send her on her way so we don't have to listen to all of this, like, yelling the whole time. We got things to do. We're trying to rest. And Jesus then says, again, not to the woman addressing her worshiping him, says to his disciples, I haven't come, <laughs> I haven't come for them. I'm here for the Jews. Cool. This is the one I wrestled with all this week, part of the perspective on it. Um, there's, There's a hard part about being a Christian in America and it's we're not Jews for the most part. We're not living in Israel. We don't have a a deep, rich history and tradition and understanding of all that this book says and means. It's not in our bones and in our lineage all the way back. We're we're the grafted in. We're the church. We're the exciting part. We're the after Jesus raises from the dead part that I'm so pumped and excited about. And when when you read the Bible, we have been, unfortunately, I believe, and I'm speaking for myself, kind of including you, into, as American Christians, believing that this book was written for just you and Jesus came for just you and how great that is. Now, what I'm not, I'm not saying that he didn't, but I'm saying there's a gigantic world of human beings that God has a plan and a purpose for salvation. He wants the restoration of the entire world. And how he did it is God's way. He's not going to apologize for it. He's not going to change it. It was plan A, from the beginning to the end and after. <laughs> he cannot lie. God made a way, and it was through his chosen people of Israel. The Messiah, the answer to the world's worst issue of sin, the restoration to God himself, would come through the chosen people of Israel. And we have to be able to look at this book as Jews writing to Jews about a Jewish God that they served. The exciting part is we're the second half all grafted in and we are heirs unto Christ just like they are. But if we don't recognize that God's going to have his way, his way, and no other way, Sometimes we get out of order and we start to think, well, why didn't God do it this way? Why didn't God just heal the devil? Why wouldn't he go to the other nations? Why wouldn't he just start healing everybody? And those are questions that I would like to sit down and talk with Jesus when we get to heaven, but I think I'll be too busy worshiping him. But I do have questions along those lines, but it's important to realize that God has a plan and it's not yours. And that's the challenge I, I see in this <clears throat> for us and even for his disciples and for the woman at that time. But the interesting thing is this, if you have an issue with that topic, that God came through the Jews in a specific way, you're going to have an issue with a whole lot of this book. Uh, In the scripture, in Genesis 12, it says, God chose Abraham and his descendants out of all those on earth to bless with a covenant and a promise. In Deuteronomy 14, 2, it says, for you are a people holy to the Lord, your God, out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, the Lord has chosen you to be his treasured possession. Amos 3.2 says, you only have I chose of all the families of the earth. And then Jesus in his own words in John chapter four, verse 22, when he's talking to the Samaritan woman, says, the Samaritans worship what you do not know, and we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. First and foremost, Jesus is saying, "There there is a way that I'm doing this, and it's God's way. And if Jesus were to come out from underneath God's way, the whole triune God, the whole perspective that God follows and in his alignment with himself and he can't contradict himself would be lost. And a whole first part of this book leading up all the promises and all the perspectives that lead us to this defining moment of Jesus being on earth would be lost. So Jesus knows he has to do it God's way. But the exciting part about it is even in God's way, having his way, the overflow of his mercy and grace and compassion still heals the woman. That's what I love about this story. The fourth thing or the third thing that Jesus says, which is really challenging and where a lot of questions come up too is she's, she's asked for help again and, and he looks and says, you know, it's not right for us to give the bread for the children to the dogs. The word dogs there is referring to a family dog, something that would have been in the house, around the table, on your lap. And typically you think about if you, if you have a dog, how many of you have a dog? Have you ever been eating something and it drops on the floor? And you're just like, oh, thank goodness I have a dog, Right? It's not like you're gonna take the crumb and be like, not for you, you know what I mean? You you let food fall and the dog eats it and the dog partakes of what goodness that we're eating. That's kind of the perspective that Jesus is holding here and the woman hears it, doesn't fight it, acknowledges where Jesus has placed her, outside of the chosen, outside of the covenant and still says, yes Lord, but even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And then Jesus says the fourth thing, which is the cool part, where he says, man, great is your faith, great is your faith. Your request is granted. And in that very hour, her daughter's healed. A couple of things there too. First, with her response to Jesus, I think it's it's one of those things where she had every right to ask for help. If you think of rights as a human being, rights as a mother, your daughter is filled with something that you didn't put there that you didn't ask for, that is absolutely evil and hurting her and hurting you and hurting others, and the only future you have is that hurt and pain, comes to someone who is projected to be the savior of all and asks for help. That just seems right. And when Jesus doesn't respond, then says he's not there for her, and then even looks at her and says, it's not right for me to give you the blessing that's for my people. She doesn't contradict him. She doesn't fight him. She sees herself correctly and says, yes, Lord, that may be true, but even the crumbs that fall are for the dogs. And then the other thing that's really, really amazing there too is the fact that the, the girl was healed immediately in that moment. And the coolest part about that is, is Jesus didn't have to go to her to heal her he could just speak it into existence. He didn't have to go and show this great thing. He didn't have to have a crowd follow him. He just saw the woman's faith and out of mercy and compassion said, "Great is your faith, woman. Your request is granted and a daughter is healed." We don't hear anything else about him. There's no grand story of how they started some church, some amazing thing, but there's this moment of interaction between a mother and Jesus outside of traditional norms, outside of covenants and outside of the regular what you would consider and there is a moment of compassion and mercy. For a request from a mom, it's pretty powerful. And one of those things I want to encourage you with too is uh, that that Jesus does not have to be in your situation to heal your situation. Jesus doesn't have to know; He does know. He's God Almighty. He sees where you're at. But that relational component, where she's absolutely focused one-on-one with Jesus, just saying, "Lord, you know, please help." He's great as your faith. The cool part about that too is there's not <laughs> there's not any instances where Jesus stops and is like, "Dang, Thomas, great faith, dude." Actually, Thomas was the doubter, you know? Or it says, Peter, man, great is your faith. There's none of these moments, but he says to this woman, outside of the Jewish culture, tradition, religion, all of it, great is your faith, and heals her daughter. So in reading all this, <clears throat> um, I challenge with three things. I don't think they're the only three things, but there's the three things I decided to share with you guys as I prayed for you and prayed through this and just asked for God's mercy as we're teaching it. Um, Contextually, I think it's important to realize as we read through scripture, there are, there are pieces to the puzzle that you gotta know the beginning and the end while you're reading the middle. And so the beginning part of this is Jesus had just come from a conversation with the Pharisees where they had questioned everything he had done as he healed someone. And he's, they, they don't recognize who he is. And, and he's left there 50 miles and now he's at an interaction with somebody who shouldn't know who he is, who does. And he has a moment of healing with her and then after this, he goes back to the promised land, and he sits on a hill and heals everybody. It's kind of wild. Why didn't they have to ask three times? Why didn't they have to go through all that that mom went through to get healing for her daughter? And all these questions are really important, and I think they drive us back to a relational interaction with God himself. And that's kind of where I want to lead us. So the first thing that I want you guys to just kind of maybe process through this week, ask yourself, is a comparison between the Pharisees and the woman, how they approached Jesus. Too often these days, I find myself in the Pharisees and in those trying to kill Jesus, pretty much always. I I used to think I was this great person that God would call to help him all the time. And now I just see myself as the religious elite that just like, man, I wouldn't have done it that way. (laughs) And and so it's important to realize where you're coming from. First comparison, Pharisees are knowledge-based. They know the law. They've been raised in the law since birth. They've come from it. They, They live, breathe, and eat it. They have been practicing and want to carry on the traditions of being Jewish. It's their life, it's their blood, it's who they are. And in it, they're trying to serve God by all the self-imposed things they've done. And it's all merit-based. Now look at the woman, outside of the covenant, not part of the chosen people, has no understanding except for the idea that maybe this is a savior, a messiah, somebody who's coming to heal the whole world and they could heal my daughter. She comes in with no inhibitions, nothing left on the table, and lays it all bare there, not knowing the circumstance or the outcome of the situation. And Jesus meets her. She comes asking for mercy, not seeking it out of merit. It's pretty interesting. The second is this lesson in desperation. And this is one that I I don't want you guys to hear me say, or I don't want you to take from this, that if you pray in a certain way and are really sorry or really mean it and ask three times, God will heal you and God will give you what you're asking. Unfortunately, we're not guaranteed or promised any of those things. What we are guaranteed is salvation through Jesus Christ and a life everlasting, and a relationship with Him. We're not always going to get what we want. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't be desperate and come to Jesus and ask. And there's this weird tension that we have to hold from time to time, which is—it's this balancing point. On one side, we think that we've done everything right; we have followed the rules to the letter. We look the part, sound the part, are the part. We really are good, good people. We deserve to get what we're asking for. God, please, why won't you give it to me? And on the other side, you have, it's a big world. I mean, I've tried. Maybe this is just my lot in life. I don't think God has time for me. Probably not. I mean, there's not really a point. You know, it's tough times for everybody. I don't think I need to ask. And both are not recognizing Jesus for who he is. On one side, you have this, I've earned it. On the other side, you think, well, uh, you know, I'm too small. It doesn't really matter. And I think what Jesus is pointing to is it's good to come to a desperate point where you need him and nothing else. Uh, Josh posed this interesting idea in Sermon Team. I, I reference Sermon Team. Sermon Team is weekly we get together as pastors and talk through what is going to be preached on the next Sunday. It's one of those times where it's really cool. I often just sit and listen to like, theological minds go back and forth thinking, oh, don't open your mouth. Um, but Josh posed this really, good, this really good thing that challenged me. The woman didn't just leave what was comfortable, her home, her job, and things. She left everything, including her religion. And Josh posed this question where he said, would you leave Christianity to see your daughter healed? Man, that's what she left. She left everything the very core of who she was to seek out Jesus for healing for her daughter. Please don't leave Christianity. It is true. It is right. Don't do that. But the perspective, that that absolute leaving everything behind in pursuit of what Jesus can do, it's a healthy place to be. Thinking that we have it all together and we don't need God, and thinking that we've done it all and we need God and he's not doing it the way we want, are dangerous places to be. And I think Jesus is pointing us to this knowledge and this understanding of what it looks to be desperate. And looking desperate is coming to Jesus, asking, laying everything down, seeing ourselves correctly. We don't, we haven't earned a healing. We don't deserve a healing. But Jesus can heal you. And then here's the crazy part. He might not. And that's the hardest thing. And in it, honestly, I think is this lesson and the third point, which is, living into this relational God that we serve in prayer. Prayer not meaning before meals and in church, but prayer meaning your communication to the Lord. Whether you're reading in his word, whether you're praying with your family, whether you are in dire need in and, and dire times and you are just crying out to the Lord, there's a relational God who loves you, each and every one of you, and wants to see you saved. That's why John 3.16 exists, and he does care, and he does love you enough to hear you and save you. But God's plan, like I said before, is bigger than any one individual in this room. It is for the salvation of the world. And sometimes the awesome things that happen in our life are part of God's plan and we see blessing and we see all these amazing things happen and we see people healed and we see all these things and God moves and shakes things up and he has his way. And then other times, I've had a lot of no's in my life. And what I've realized is sometimes in those no's, and I'm not talking like the, oh, I didn't get a raise, no. I'm talking about like the, oh, she died, she didn't get healed. But I see that God's plan still continues beyond us because it is beyond any one individual. The crazy and most amazing thing about it is you as an individual are invited into that plan and a part of that plan. And through your relationship and devotion to Jesus Christ and your witnessing of what he's done in your life, good, challenging, hard, bad, short, long, others can come to know Jesus and do not have to face an eternity of hell, whatever that may look like. That's that's the power of God's salvation message for the world. And so in prayer and as we seek the Lord, sometimes we feel like we've earned it or we've gotten to this place where we have a right to ask. And I just wanna challenge that thinking and I want you to know from the depths of love and in my heart as I pray for all of you, your way may not be God's way and it may not make any sense in this moment. But my prayer for you and for me as we walk through those times is that God's peace and his presence and his continued love and relationship for you, for your family and for others, will be with you through those hard times. I was reading in uh, Second Corinthians. It's a little kind of off, but at the same time, I think it's a good encouragement. Paul's encouraging the church with something as he's finishing up Second Corinthians. I just wanted to read it to you guys, so I'm going to turn it really fast. Um, maybe kind of fast, typically slow. It's coming. Uh, Paul's encouraging the church because it's easy as Christians, I think, to start to feel like we've done everything right and why isn't it happening? And it's fun to hear from the people that God uses to write, you know, half of the New Testament or in massive ways to hear where their perspective comes from. He says, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassingly great revelations, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times, interesting, three times. The woman asked Three times, three times. I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Worship team, you guys can come. When I am weak, then I am strong challenge that Paul gives, the challenge I think that this section is, is to really challenge where our belief system lie. lie. Who is Jesus regardless of if the healing happens or not? And do you trust him whether the healing happens or not? And there's encouragement and story from, from the Bible all the way down to where we are now of Christians, men and women of faith who have seen and done the most incredible things and have gone through the most incredible pains and loss and yet still worship the God that we love and serve, still see him as savior of all. It's, it's, a, hard, it's a hard one to wrestle with, but I thought we could wrestle with it together. Um, we're gonna sing a few more songs, and we'd we'll love to just take this time for you guys to pray, and really just lay it out there. If you have a need, first and foremost, if you have a need, a desperate need, finances, healing, uh, mental illness, uh, any, any of it, family issues, job issues, all of it, if you have a real dire need, Man, come to Jesus. Lay it before him this morning. As we're singing these worship songs, take a moment and just say, Lord, this is my need. You know it. This is where I'm at. I'm not pleading merit. I'm asking for mercy. And then secondly, as you lay that before the Lord, say, and Lord, please fill me with peace regardless of the outcome. Be with me as the relational God I know you are. Through your love and your mercy and your Holy Spirit, dwell within me and give me the peace and the courage to take it one day at a time. And if you need other healing for that, and if you need uh, anything else, we will have some folks over on this side of the gym willing to pray with you and for you. Um, But just wanna challenge you guys with that. So I'll pray. You guys wanna stand with me and we'll worship the Lord and spend some time in prayer. Dear God, thank you so much for your word, for the truth that's in it. God, I pray you'd bring, bring us to an understanding and a knowledge of who you are. And in that, we would have humility, grace, and just the absolute falling at your feet in worship. Just this morning, even for the next 10, 15 minutes, God, we'd lay it all before you and we'd ask God, have your way, have your way, not ours, have your way and give us peace amidst what that way looks like. And God, would you make us witnesses and give testimony of the goodness of who you are so that others might be saved. Lord, we love you so much. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for the opportunity and the hope we have and a future we have in salvation and relationship with you. We love you in Jesus' name.